The following is brought to you by Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Paul Boyer, Michael Bolick, and Will Harris. Good evening from the Health Education Campus of Case Western Reserve University and the Cleveland Clinic. I'm Chris Wallace of Fox News, and I welcome you to the first of the 2020 presidential debates. Choose your character. President Donald J. Trump, former Vice President Joe Biden. Fight. They do. They will under my proposal. Not what you've said, but and it's not what your party has said. That is simply your party a lie. doesn't say it. Your party wants simple. to go socialist. And they're going to dominate you, Joe. You know that. I am the Democratic Party right now. I am the law. And if you were here, it wouldn't be 200. It would be 2 million people because (laughs) you were very late on the draw. You didn't want me to ban China, which was heavily infected. The president also is opposed to Roe v. Wade. That's on the ballot as well in the court, in the court. And so that's also at stake right now. And so the election is all You don't know it's on the ballot. I, Why is it in the ballot? Because, because Why is you it on the ballot? It's not on the ballot. It's on the ballot in the court. I don't think so. In the court. I'll I got rid of the individual mandate. I got rid of the individual mandate, which was a big chunk a of Obama. Plan. That is absolutely a big thing. That was that, the worst I, I part of Obamacare. Sir. Well, all right. Let's, all right. Let's talk. I would... Get rid of it. I'd like and you we to, will protect Mr. people. President, I'm the moderator of this debate, and I would like you to let me ask my question, and then you can answer. Go your ahead, question. Number one. Joe, you agreed with Bernie Number, Sanders, I, I, far I, left, on the manifesto. We you, call it. Manifesto. That gives you socialized medicine. Look, hey, are I'm, you saying I'm not going to listen to him? The fact of the matter is, I beat Bernie Sanders. Not by I'm, much. I beat him a whole hell of a lot. I'm not here. I'm here standing facing you. Pocahontas would have left two days earlier. You would have lost every primary. All he knows how to do is Tuesday. You got Look, very lucky. There's a deal. I got very lucky. Came and get very lucky tonight as well. Came and get very lucky tonight as well. Came and get very lucky tonight. Came and get very lucky tonight. Came and get lucky. Came and lucky. Came and lucky. I'm up all night to get lucky. We're up all night to the sun. We're up all night to get sun. We're up all night for good fun. There is no manifesto. Number Please one. Please let him speak, Mr. Number two. You just lost the left. Number two. I, I, you just lost the left. You're in voting now. Vote and let your senators know how you strongly you feel. Let vote now. You're pack the Make court? sure you, in fact, let people know you're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question Why because, you answer that because question? the you question is the question is the question left. Will you shut who is up, on, man? Listen, who is on your list, Joe? You should get out of your bunker and get out of the sand trap and get in in your golf course and go in the Oval Office and bring together the Democrats and Republicans and fund what needs to be done now to say lives the way it is unfortunately but let me just tell you something i don't care i've gotten used to it but i'll tell you joe you could never have done the job that we did you don't have it in your blood you could have never done that job i know how to do the job you don't have it in your blood you could have never done that job I know how to do the job. By the warm weather, it'd be gone. Miraculous, like a miracle. And by the way, maybe you could inject some bleach in your arm, and that would take care of it. This is the that same man. That was said sarcastically, that was you same, know that. Do you believe for a moment what he's telling you in light of all the lies he's told you about the whole issue relating to COVID. People died. 
and a lot more are going to die unless he gets a lot smarter, a lot quicker. So, Mr. President, did you use the word smart? Uh, so you said you went to Delaware State, but you forgot the name of your college. You didn't <laughs> go to so. Delaware State. You graduated either the lowest or almost the lowest in your class. Don't ever use the word smart with me. Uh, Vice President Biden, you are holding much smaller uh, events with nobody will show up. People would. <laughs> What's well, true? With, nobody shows up to his okay, rallies. All right. Did you see yes, one of the last big rallies he had? And a reporter came up to him to ask him a question. He said, no, no, no. Stand back. Put on your mask. Put on a mask. Have you been tested? I'm way, I'm way far away from those other people. That's what he said. I can't. I'm going to be okay. He's not worried about you. He's not worried about the people out there breathing in one another. We've had no negative effect. Even before COVID, manufacturing went in the hole. Manufacturing went in the hole. It's hard to get anywhere You were a senator and the worst president in America has ever had. Run away fast as you can. Mr. President, your campaign agreed to both sides would get two-minute answers uninterrupted. Well, your, your side agreed to it, and why don't you observe what your campaign agreed to as a ground rule, okay, sir? He never keeps his word. Can you add no, back, no, 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 I'm not asking. That was a rhetorical question. Can you Go add ahead, back sir. 30 seconds? Yeah, because, yes, okay. you may have. All right. Go ahead. So, fact is that I've gone head-to-head -head with Putin and made it clear to him we're not going to take any of his stuff. He's Putin's puppy. He still refuses to even say anything to Putin about the bounty on the heads of American soldiers. And speaking of my son, the way you talk about the military, the way you talk about them being losers and being and, 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 and just being suckers, my son was in Iraq. He spent a year there. He got, the, he got the Bronze Star. He got the Conspicuous Service Medal. He was not a loser. He was a patriot, and the people left behind there were heroes. Really? And I resent Are you talking like about Hunter? Hell. Are you talking about I'm Hunter? talking about my son, Bo Biden. You're talking about I don't about know. Him. I don't know, Bo. I know Hunter. Yeah, Hunter, you know, got thrown, Hunter got thrown out of the military. He was thrown out, dishonorably discharged. That's not true. For it wasn't cocaine use. And he didn't have a job until you became vice president. Once you None became of that vice president, true. he made a fortune in Ukraine, in China, in Moscow, that is simply and various not other places. True. He my made son, a fortune. General, my son. And he didn't have a job. My son. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups yeah. and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha, and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to specifically do, that, do it? Well, I, go would ahead. Say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right so wing. So what are you, what are you, you, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and right like me to condemn? White supremacists and right proud boys. Stand back and stand by, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left, because this is not a right-wing problem. This is, is a left-wing This is a left-wing White supremacist. Antifa's an idea, not an organization. Oh, you got it. Not militia. And I'll be a president, not just for the Democrats, I'll be a president for Democrats and Republicans. And this guy, I want to see an honest okay. ballot count. Gentlemen, we you say that's the end of it. This is the I end of this debate. Honest ballot count. We're going to leave it there. Uh, to be continued as in more debates as we go on.
deep breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth. Welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast. My name is Justin Robert Young. Well, that was something, huh? Obviously, we're going to spend the entire episode talking about this debate, breaking it down. What does it mean? What are the narratives that have come out? And has it indeed changed this race? Later on, we will break down the rhetorical back and forth of uh, both candidates with our guest, Jennifer Murchia. She uh, uh, also has a dire warning about possibly democracy coming to an end. So, you know, prepare yourself. But first, let's go ahead and get into uh, (laughs) my top line thoughts on this. I knew it was going to be unorthodox. I knew it was going to be something that we had never really seen before. But even knowing that, boy, was it chaotic. My guess is that Donald Trump was keenly aware of the fact that both George W. Bush and Barack Obama had bad first debates. And as somebody that is a bottom line guy, he assumed that he could not have a bad first debate. And so where W and Obama slept, he would be very, very, very active. I did not like Biden's energy at all in the first half. And I thought that there were times where Trump was was fairly effectively working him. You know, if, if you limit the interruptions to one or two, And you don't supplement that with going wire to wire on every question with Chris Wallace. I think this looks like a Trump domination on a level that I think would register. But he didn't do that. He went all in on every single question. And it made for a chaotic, twisted metal train wreck that... I have never seen before in my life. I mean, I guess the closest thing to this would be Palin Biden. And that's the other thing is that in a lot of ways, Donald Trump was doing to Joe Biden what Joe Biden did to Paul Ryan. However, this is a different situation. Donald Trump's the incumbent president. To Joe Biden's credit, he got stronger as the debate went on later. And he had one very, very, very crucial veteran move. And that is this moment that we played in our, our, our mega mix here at the beginning, where in a question that was prefaced with the idea that we're going to have probably days, if not weeks, where we do not know who the president is, if Donald Trump would tell his supporters specifically white supremacists, which you can quibble with the question uh, because I think Trump would have been fair to say, okay, well now are you going to ask him to tell Antifa to, 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 to lay low? But the question is the question. 
Donald Trump went with it. Here's that clip. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups yeah. and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, go would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right so wing. So what, what, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and right like me to condemn? White Proud supremacists and right Proud boys. Stand back and stand by, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. All right, did you hear that? Did you guys hear that? Because this is crucial. This is crucial. Chris Wallace says white supremacists, okay? White supremacists. That is a general term. Do you, do you tell white supremacists to not do a thing? Sure. White supremacy, stop it. White supremacy, put the toilet seat down. White supremacy, don't take over the government. White supremacy, do whatever. I mean, it's it, it is, as Biden later said about Antifa, it is an idea and not an organization. You can't go to whitesupremacy.org and sign up. Now, there are white supremacist organizations, but Chris Wallace went with the indefinite. It is Joe Biden who says Proud Boys. Listen to this clip again. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and right Proud Boys. Trump takes the bait on Proud Boys. The Proud Boys are not indefinite. They are a group. So now you have linked Donald Trump to a group. It also makes Trump backpedal because now he's not just saying I'm against racism. He's saying I'm against the Proud Boys. And you can hear the gears turning in his head on whether or not he wants to say anything about a specific group where he had the option, if he would have listened to Chris Wallace, to just say, yes, I denounce in total, I tell to stand down white supremacy. And again, like I said before this, I think he should have then turned it back onto Biden and said, well, Biden, why don't you tell the people that are rioting right now to stand down? Are, are you going to tie yourself to these groups like I've been forced to? But anyway, that was a very, very, very crafty veteran move by Joe Biden. And while by and large... I thought his prepackaged lines were bad. I thought his energy was bad. I specifically thought his sight lines were bad. There was just a lot of him looking down. At times, Biden came off just as sort of all over the place as we had seen him during the previous Democratic debates. That moment, which has now become the dominant media narrative that has come out of this debate is enough to make up for that. I would still say if I were scoring this debate like a fight, Trump probably wins, but that's not really what these debates are about. These aren't about rhetorical prowess, and they're really not even about public policy. I think people want to keep saying that, but it hasn't been about public policy for a very long time. I also think that now that we've gotten to this stage of the debates, 
we probably do need a top-down rethink on exactly what we want to get out of them. Do we want to just see these people talk? Because I think that's probably the biggest thing that we want. And if that's the case, then we probably need either less of a moderator or more of a free-form situation. If this is just television, if this is just a let's watch these personalities go back and forth, or maybe we want to be aspirational and we want to show that in a heated campaign, two people can have a civilized conversation, a civilized, if spirited, conversation. Then we need to start building things around this that that get our, get us our desired result a little bit more. Because we're working with an outdated model. I mean, we're still effectively doing the same thing that we did in 1960. Anyway, we're, we're going to get into some of this with, the, with, with Jen Murchia later. Let's talk about Trump's strategy. His execution, I believe, was too aggressive. But his strategy was something that he also did in 2016. And that is to wedge the progressives away from Biden. And this time, it has a bit of a double-edged sword. When we talk about the things that aren't probably even going to show up in the polls immediately, this is the kind of stuff that I think was effective for Trump. In 2016... Donald Trump spent a lot of time telling Hillary Clinton that she hosed Bernie Sanders. Bernie was going to win, and she he was cheated by Hillary Clinton. This time, while he also talked about... Bernie Sanders has no bigger cheerleader in these debates than Donald Trump, both in 2016 and 2020. He again talks about how Bernie Sanders was going to win the primary. However... He also hangs very progressive policies around the neck of Joe Biden in a way that he knows Biden is uncomfortable with. Again, in 2020, this is a double-edged sword. It rubs in the face of progressives that Biden is not your champion. And so if part of this is the, well... I mean, maybe Biden will be somebody that AOC can work with and, you know, Rokana's for him. So hold my nose. He just wants to make that as difficult as possible for progressive voters. If you are an ideologue, then he wants Biden on the record saying your ideas are stupid. Secondarily, remember, Joe Biden gave John Kasich more speaking time than AOC. He wants disaffected Republicans to support him. What do disaffected Republicans find more abhorrent? Donald Trump's piggish, aggressive manner? The fact that the the, uh, presidential uh, uh, aura around the office is something that might never come back again? or multi-trillion dollar programs that'll never go away. Because John Kasich doesn't like those. The voters that he's speaking to probably don't either. The best antidote that Trump has to the argument that he sucks is that Joe Biden will put in programs that you will never see repealed and can tank the economy for a generation. Those voters respond to that, and that's what Donald Trump tried to do repeatedly. Wedge, wedge, wedge. 
This isn't about whether or not I'm good or bad. It's about whether or not you will sacrifice your values to vote for Biden, both to, to progressives and to wayward conservatives. I also thought that Trump left a lot on the table. There was a segment tailor-made for him all about the African-American vote. And Trump was very unfocused. This one should have been easy. Easy. You want to know what? If you vote for Joe Biden and you're African-American, that's your right. But understand the facts. In 1994, he wrote the crime bill. Now, Trump did say that. In 2019 or 18, I forget which year, I wrote criminal justice reform. Not Joe Biden, not Barack Obama. I put criminal justice reform in. You want real, uh, 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 a real effect on the African-American community? Joe Biden said earlier about uh, how many times do you see an empty chair at your dinner table because of COVID? Well, let's talk about all the empty chairs at the dinner table because a a father or a brother or a mother or a sister went to jail for something that they shouldn't have. And they're in jail for decades more than they should, like Alice Johnson. So pretty words, pretty words, pretty words from Joe Biden. Who actually did it? Trump did. That was like grapefruit down the strike zone for Trump. And he totally, totally whiffed on it. He also peppered Biden a lot with the you've been in government for 47 years thing, but never really hit back. If And I buy the fact now that Trump did too little debate prep because these are the kind of things that you really want in your chamber that every time you say 47 years for you, I did it in 47 months. He used that rhetorical thing, which I do like, but he has to say, you didn't do blank in 47 years. I did it in 47 months. Trump effectively with Clinton portrayed her as a lifelong bureaucrat who lies to you. He can do that again with Biden and probably more effectively and more truthfully because Joe Biden's been in government for longer than Hillary Clinton has. And he's taken a lot of contrary positions. You can, you can position him as someone that will tell you what you want, what you want to hear and then leave you at the altar. That, I think, is totally in play for Trump, and he didn't really nail it. We're going to go more into the existential dread in the interview, but I want to end on this in terms of my opinions. This was, by all intents and purposes, something that was really disheartening for viewers. That it, 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 it led to some like, oh, God, is this where we are? Is this what presidential politics is right now? Is this just yelling? One of my biggest moments of self-reflection and growth came when I realized that the behavior that I despised in other people was behavior that I had myself. And that if I'm repeatedly annoyed by somebody doing something then as an instinct, I should probably 
think about investigating whether or not I do the exact same thing. And it is with that that I point out that this loud, education-free scream fest, wherein either side of the aisle gave any kind of good faith to the other, and instead engaged in a shoot-first-and-ask-questions-later-slaughter-fest, got the most horrified reactions from cable news and Twitter. At a certain point, isn't this what we want? Isn't this what we've been asking for? Not by our words, but by what we respond to, by what we like, by what we watch. Cable news ratings are up since Trump, up since everything became a a yell at each other until the end of the segment. The tweets that go the most viral are the most divisive. Same thing with Facebook. Hell, let's even go back further. Let's look at every single moment that we remember from debate history. From there you go again to say it louder for the people in the back, Candy. Every single one of them are the fluff, the fat, the sizzle. We never say, oh, what an elegant way to lay out your healthcare policy. No. Even then, we, we, we mock those. In fact, the gaffes, you forgot Poland, a binder full of women, the lockbox. Those were all attempts to explain policy. So we got rid of it. We got all sizzle, all fluff, all fat, turned up to 11. The Mountain Dew code red of political discourse is what we all chugged last night, then looked around at each other and acted disgusted with ourselves. The question is, Do we want anything different? Will we reward something different? Do we really want something more boring and substantive? I don't think so. I think we wanted to see pugilism. The vast majority of people who tuned in, in my opinion, were there to see how their candidate fared. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that they did a very, very good job of explaining their website. It meant that they would do damage to their opponent. And that's what we saw. Damage. The candidate that was looked at as less aggressive called his opponent a racist and a clown and the worst president in history. So, who's up for round two? So, since last night's poop show, here is... The update, Uh, the commission on presidential debates announced today that there will be, quote, additional structure to ensure a more orderly discussion. Speculation abounds that might mean a mic muting button. We will see exactly how that will be wielded. I I honestly think that's... (sighs) I I don't know whether or not that's going to get us to where we want to go. 
I think it's going to be the moderator more uh, forcefully interjecting themselves into the proceedings. Really, again, we need to look at these things top down. We need to understand what we want out of them because I don't know. I, 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 I see dark and cloudy skies in our future if we are now also counting how many times uh, uh, one of the future moderators muted Trump versus muted Biden. We'll see, though. I, I won't crap on it until I see exactly what it is. Meanwhile, uh, Donald Trump spoke today and uh, clarified his stance on the Proud Boys. Quote, I don't know who the Proud Boys are. You have to give me a definition because I really don't know who they are. I can only say that they have to stand down. This, of course, came after, you know, he said to stand back and stand by and that somebody has to do Antifa. Somebody has to deal with Antifa and the left. When again asked about white supremacists, Trump said, quote, he has always denounced any form, any form, any form of that. You have to denounce it. He then, of course, pivoted and said that Joe Biden should say something about Antifa. And in non-presidential news, we have uh, really the last gasp for COVID relief. Nancy Pelosi has held firm on her price tag of $2.2 trillion. The White House has said that they are willing to go to around 1.5 or 1.6, but not 2.2. Well, the House uh, were today going to vote on that $2.2 trillion and basically just leave that on the lap of the Senate, who would not do anything about it, and therefore nobody would get any COVID relief. But uh, they delayed it. So Steve Mnuchin and Nancy Pelosi could negotiate. We'll see whether or not anything comes of it. I would encourage all of you listening to hold your breath. Ah, relax. Before we get into an interview that might herald the end of democracy. Ah. Relax knowing that you are supporting independent, advocacy-free political media. Ah. Folks, this podcast goes to 11. Yeah, yeah, it does. 11. That's 1,100 supporters at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. A stunning number. A stunning number. So many of you here at the $3 club level. That means you get four podcasts per week when things are changing and moving and dipping and ducking and diving as fast as they are. You're not missing a second of it. You want to get on their team? You want to join? Well, after this week, if you join right now or just right now, right? Because I've already put this out. $12 is all it costs to get four episodes a week until election day. That's it. 12 bucks. That's like, you know, the cheapest possible delivery charge on Postmates. 
that's uh, you know the the, the cost of a, a popcorn at, at the movies. Remember movies? Head on over there right now. Take politics seriously. Dot com. Twelve dollars to get four. Count them four podcasts a week until election day. Just that simple. Take politics seriously. Dot com. And by the way, might be getting some very interesting bonus stuff soon. I'm working on a little something. Might be pulling in an orphan friend of mine. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Our guest today is Jennifer Murchia. She is an associate professor in the Department of Communications at Texas A&M University. Check out her latest book, Demagogue for President, The Rhetorical Genius of Donald Trump. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. That's my pleasure to be here. Uh, so, uh, this this was a uh, this was a spectacle. <laughs> this was uh, I think that even folks like me who thought this was going to be a bit of a demolition derby uh, got something that was even more uh, chaotic than than I expected. Uh, what was your top line reaction? Rhetorically. Yeah, so Donald Trump um, has consistently broken the rules of debate um, every time he's debated. So, you know, if you were a high school or a college debater and you used ad hominem attacks, attacking the person instead of their argument, or you used threats of force or you interrupted or, you know, didn't follow the rules, um, you'd be disqualified. And so I was expecting Trump to do that. You know, I was expecting him to continue um, to violate the norms of debate. Um, but what I saw him do last night was, you know, an intensification of that. He was more aggressive. He was, um, more combative, interrupted more. I saw, um, a statistic from FactBase that said that, um, the person speaking, you know, holding the floor of the debate changed like 1200 times every four <laughs> seconds. I wouldn't doubt um, it which was like like five times more than when there were 17 people <laughs> debating. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just, it was really difficult to follow. I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't call it a debate. <laughs> well, and I guess that's that's the question. And, and if, if there is a reckoning today, it is exactly what is the role of a television debate in 2020? But in, in, you know, back in the, you know, the first television debate in, in 1960, the saturation point for political coverage was not all that much. You got maybe a little bit during the evening news, maybe a little bit depending on whatever your local radio market or newspaper would give you. But this was the moment when when Kennedy and Nixon step up onto that uh, a television studio stage. They are giving the nation pretty much a unadulterated dose of here is politics. But that's not the situation we're in right now where we have, we're lousy with political coverage. Even ding-dongs like me can do it for free and distribute it on, on the internet. So what is the role of a television debate in 2020? 
Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, if you go back and you read the Nixon and JFK debates, you know, there's substantial policy d- being discussed um, and, and differences, you know, where they sort of highlight what they think um, compared to their opposition. Um, you know, today it's a spectacle, like you said, it's a news peg in a way too long debate cycle or election cycle. You know, it's something that we can say, oh, okay, the debates have happened. And so now (laughs) we're getting closer to when we actually get to vote. Um, You know, if you read a ton of curtain raisers about the debate, like I did, you know, they all said that, you know, while there was great interest in watching the debate, something like 75 percent of Americans said they were going to watch it. Only three percent said they were going to use those debates to actually make up their yeah. mind about yeah, who they I, were going to vote for. I saw for. six, but I think that it, yeah. you know, the, 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 the number certainly was in the mid to low single digits. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, I think it was dwarfed by the 41% I saw that said they were watching it for entertainment. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, nobody, not too many people, I should say, were watching this thing to learn about um, Biden or Trump. Um, you know, which was frankly a shame, you know, well, but, <laughs> they're, but they're is watching that, is, to is cheer that... and to boo and, you know, to treat the, the spectacle like a spectacle um, and not to learn. And so, you know, the debaters give you what you want yeah. and you don't learn anything. I, I guess. Uh, is that to be expected, though? Because are, are we curious about Joe Biden or Donald Trump's positions? I, I think at this point in a world where everyone's got a website and we've got every different possible angle of media filter on it like do we is there a value in them repeating what they've already either said before or is written somewhere accessible on somebody's phone within five seconds yeah let me let me tell you what the opportunity was (laughs) that we missed cool um you know we live in a partisan news environment where reality is constructed differently Um, history is different. Um, facts are different on both sides. And this was an opportunity to see both candidates, um, talk to each other and question each other about their records and about their policy preferences. And for most of Americans that, you know, people who only expose themselves to one side of the partisan news agenda, um, you know, it was an actual opportunity to hear what, the opposition actually thought, unfiltered, unframed by their media sources. Um, And you're right, you know, people could go to the opposition's website and check it out, um, but they don't tend to do that, right? Motivated reasoning says you you seek out information that confirms your biases. And so this was an opportunity for people to actually have, you know, their biases disconfirmed and to actually learn something about the opposition. And and that's a failed opportunity in this case. Yeah, I I I wonder even then what our appetite is for that. Even mm-hmm. in this, because you're right, this is an opportunity where either uh, 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 Joe Biden could assuage fears to conservative voters, or Joe or uh, Donald Trump could assuage fears to liberal voters. Either particularly seemed interested in doing that, uh, uh, and and we got what we wound up getting, but even on this, a gigantic glittering silver platter for which everybody is going to fawn media uh, uh, attention on, 
I think your 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 preamble there is probably the operating notion that they don't want their biases uh, uh, unconfirmed. In fact, they want to see their biases fought for. They want to see crusaders on that stage. They don't want to learn a new religion. Yeah, definitely for the most, you know, engaged, the most partisan, the extremes of both parties. But there are a lot of Americans who, um, you know, just found last night distasteful um, and upsetting and troubling that worry now about the state of their nation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm someone who teaches with a consortium of universities on democratic erosion and democratic backsliding. You know, we're preparing a letter. <laughs> a letter. You know, a letter is being our, prepared. Yeah, we're preparing a letter, you know, stating our concerns about, um, you know, what, what, what we saw and what we have seen in the last few weeks, what it means for the stability of the nation. I mean, literally, like these are the things that you see when you look historically and around the world um, about how democracies fail. And and that what so what did you see last night that leads you to that conclusion and your portion of this letter that you guys are drafting? Yeah. So, you know, democracies fail when people who hold elected offices erode democratic norms. Um, they erode norms around voting, around the rights of the media. Um, you know, that's that's just the way it's been. You know, it's not I mean, it sounds like I'm making that up because that's what we've seen. But actually, that's what has happened historically. Um, and so, like, for example, if you've read How Democracies Die, I'm sure everyone who, who listens to this has, um, you know, there are four things that we know is like the formula for, for democratic erosion. Um, one is delegitimizing legitimate political opposition. So that is using ad hominem attacks, um, right, calling your opponent's names. That is using appeals to hypocrisy, trying to undermine their legitimacy, saying, you know, that they don't have standing, that they're all cheaters. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways to do that. Um, the second thing is, um, is let's see, what did I say the first thing was? The first thing was, <laughs> so was, was delegitimizing your, your opposition. Yeah. We certainly saw so that. We saw that. We saw that in opposition. spades last night. Encouraging violence, right, um, against your opposition, um, rejecting the protections of civil rights um, from the people or the press, right? So you could just check, check, check right down the list. And that's what we heard last night. And that's well, where, where what we've do we, heard. Where do we hear the rejections of the, the, the civil rights? Well, when um, we talked about peaceful protesters being, you know, not peaceful protesters, when we heard Donald Trump, you know, not reject white supremacy, um, you know, when we talked about fake news and the rejection of the press, those well, are sorry, all ways okay, yeah. of, you know, denying the legitimate, you know, political opposition or eroding, um, you know, civil rights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he... When he talked about the election as being rigged, that he wants people to like stand guard, um, you know, observe, that's illegal. <laughs> observe, yeah, observe polling places, uh, which I mean, you know, there is 
I think, a valid conversation that does deserve to be had around non-solicited mail-in ballots. And not even for the reason that somebody might cheat, but just because the states that do that have worked, have built systems around that for years. It, it, it doesn't, you can't do that overnight, uh, or at least we have not seen that overnight. And that's one of those things that really is just sad about this entire conversation is that what what struck me in watching it, and I'm literally, I was re-watching it right before we spoke, is that both sides don't, and, and, and Trump does this more than Biden because he talked a lot more, uh, both sides seem to be talking even in a language that you don't understand unless you are watching the lens of that side's media. Like, there are just references to things that if you didn't know it, and, and I go out of my way to try and find these, you know, if I don't understand a thing, I'll, I'll go read from one side of the aisle's perspective on it just to understand the glossary. And I don't even think, I mean, if we live in dual realities, then that debate last night was spoken in two languages. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's, that's the thing that I'm saying, like, you know, it was a missed opportunity because there, there was an opportunity to have a conversation about those different realities, right? Like, I like your point that maybe it's not okay to have mailed in, you know, mailed out ballots or whatever automatically. Oh, yeah, well, we should at least um, talk about it. And, I think and, we should, we should, yeah, we like, should have a yeah, conversation. Yeah, let's have a discussion yeah. about that, right? So the viability of the nation is at risk <laughs> and it hinges on people trusting the election, that the process is transparent, that people believe that the right people have voted, you know, everyone who was allowed to or legally allowed to, that, um, you know, the ballots were all counted accurately, that no other, you know, ballots were cast, whether they were from a foreign nation or, you know, like, right, like there's a whole yeah. bunch of steps in the process that people have to trust because they can't be there, you know, immediately to watch it happen. And they could have had a conversation about that. And, and a, a real discussion, like Wallace even said, you know, like the real issue with mail-in ballots is that so many of them are disqualified because yeah. people don't fill out the ballot properly. They don't sign it in the right spot. They don't put the double envelope around it. They don't, you know, whatever, some technicality. And nobody talked about that. Yeah. Like, like, like when I when I when I go when so I go vote do it properly when, when I go vote and I always vote in person uh, because I'm a dork and I like doing it. Uh, they you know, the, the helpful old lady, you know, sometimes I'll be putting my ballot in the wrong way and she very helpfully tells me to turn it around. You don't have that with a mail in ballot. Right. Like that That's goes right. in if your signature isn't quite what it is before. And this is a kind of a side jag. But look, whoever's got a lead on election night. If it's if Trump has a lead on election night, it's going to be harder for Biden to come back, not because the ballots won't get counted, but because that's when the lawyers are going to descend and everything's going to go slower and everything's going to be strained right. harder. And, like, and everyone's predicting that that's exactly the scenario because they're expecting more Biden voters to 
vote by mail, that it's going to take longer to count those ballots. And so immediately and on election be, night, it will look like Trump is winning or ahead well, or whatever. Not. Not. And then they're calling it a blue shift, right? The thing that you can expect to happen over the coming weeks as they count those ballots. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things that people need to really be familiar with in order to trust the outcome of the election. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and look, we got we got a little bit to go. And, and I do think that there's a possibility that either Trump has such a thin lead that it seems likely that that Biden wins or Biden has a lead. And this is kind of moot. Uh, let me ask you, you mentioned Chris Wallace, uh, something that I have seen a lot is the idea that either criticism of Chris Wallace or the the idea that the moderators need to be firmer, that this is the fault of moderation in that Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden were allowed to, uh, you know, honk at each other in the way that they did. From your perspective as somebody who gets rhetoric and understands the power of it, is there anything else that Chris Wallace could have done? I don't think so. Trump was determined to violate the rules. He was determined. And Chris Wallace kept trying to remind him, right? You agreed to this. You agreed to this setup. Your campaign agreed to this. And Trump would just kind of make a face. Um, he was he was a rage monster. <laughs> he was not going to listen to anybody. I mean, the only thing they could have done is cut off his microphone. Okay, so people say stuff like that. Do you think that that if 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 there is a violation of the rules that we need better rules or we need a better system or we need a mute button or 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 something else like that? Is is that something that you think would measurably make this product better? Uh, maybe. I mean, you know, um to the, the campaigns agree to what the rules are. So it's not like the moderator forces the rules on the campaign. No. Um, right. And what I think we saw last night is that, you know, Trump just refuses to follow the rules. And I think that that's true about debate. I think that's true about taxes. I think that's true about a lot of things, um, you know, that he's involved in. Um, I think that's he, that's just true of him. Um, and he's aggressive and he's aggressive about not following the rules. So, you know, I think Trump is unique in that situation. Um, he did agree in advance. He didn't adhere to what he had agreed to. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess cut off his microphone. But, you know, at the same time, you know, you learn something about him when you see him act like that. Right. And and so, you know, you might not have learned anything about policy last night, but you learn that Trump is a rage monster and he can't follow the rules and you can't hold him accountable. And that's important to learn, too. Now, it's funny because a lot of the criticism and I think that it is rightly doled out in terms of how aggressive Trump was is stuff that I heard from Republicans in 2012 about Joe Biden and specifically in his Paul Ryan debate where there were a lot of interruptions and laughing and names being called and and uh, uh, colloquialisms and uh, not talking to Paul Ryan, talking directly to the moderator. Uh, is this the natural order of where these debates are just going? Because that was something that at the time was 
lionized as Biden getting the Obama campaign back on track after a lackluster debate from Obama against Mitt Romney a week prior. Uh, no, I don't think this is, you know, the way it has to go. Um, I do think that Biden can be an aggressive debater, right? So, you know, again, like all the people who went back and looked at how Biden had performed in debates in the Senate and, and other kinds of debates like we saw last night, you know, they all said, you know, you can expect that Biden is going to stand up to the bully. He's not going to let himself get run over. Um, and in particular, they pointed to 2012 and said, you know, he's he can do aggressive things, too. Um, and we saw him do that last night. I mean, he directly looked at Trump and called him a clown. Uh, he called him the worst president in American history. He said he was being unpresidential. You know, he laughed at him. He said, come on, man. You know, I mean, he he did all the things that I thought he would do. Um, is, is that is that delegitimizing? Yeah. Legitimate opposition. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, cause, cause that, that, you know, that's something that uh, amongst, look, uh, uh, I don't yet know exactly what this filtering out as the Trump show again actually means, because certainly we have polls that show a certain thing. Nobody seems to be swayed, at least by the snap polls that I'm seeing today. Uh, that weren't there. Uh, a lot of the like who won the debate stuff seems to run fairly close to what we've seen in terms of national polling. So I don't know what the immediate impact is. But I do know that we went three debates four years ago where it was the Trump show. And there was not a, a, a lot of positive press for what Donald Trump was doing or for the future of the country should Donald Trump win. And then he won. I don't quite know where this even leaves us. Like, I, I don't I don't know whether or not the fact that this is still so much about Donald Trump and you have Joe Biden saying in any other election, somebody saying that a the sitting president is a clown and a racist and the worst president of all time probably would have merited headlines in a way that it hasn't really today. That's right. Um, you know, probably Joe Biden, Joe Biden's campaign wouldn't be possible if it hadn't been for Trump. Right. Um, you know, the things that were controversial, controversial about Biden that would have disqualified him. I mean, remember, this is a guy who got caught on a hot mic saying it's a big effing deal when they pass the Affordable Care Act. And he didn't say effing. No. Um, <laughs> right. Like, you know, Biden has um, historically gotten himself. And in that's trouble and that's and that's mild. From speaking on, that's, too freely. That's mild on the list of Biden gaps. <laughs> Biden, right, 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 Biden right. has had worse. Yeah. <laughs> So but but compared to compared to Trump, you know, it's mild. So Jill Biden was asked by Jake Tapper this weekend, you know, about the gaffes. And she said, oh, no, we don't talk about gaffes anymore. After Trump, there's no gaffes. <laughs> yeah. And I think she's probably right. Right. You know, he's he's moved the Overton window there. <laughs> um, and so we are still talking about Trump because Trump will always demand our attention. Yeah. Is is there strategically from from you as somebody who has studied so much of his speech? Is there a benefit to quote unquote sinking to his level and and 
engaging in name calling and and stuff like that? Yeah, I think, you know, so my tips for Biden <laughs> prior to the debate were, you know, that he should assert that there are facts in the world, but not fact check him, you know, all the time. Um, that he should, you know, basically laugh at him to try to throw him off his game because, you know, Trump can't stand being humiliated. Um, and and that he should, you know, speak to the people directly about their their concerns. And I think Biden did do that. Um, I thought his best moments were those times when he looked right at the camera and he said to the voter, what have you heard from Donald Trump that has anything to do with your life? You know, or he said, I know that you're, you know, you're missing people who are no longer around the dinner table. Um, you know, we've all gone through this together, you know, and really tried to connect with the American people. And I thought that he excelled at that. But I think that he also had to stand up to the bully, you know, sort of to get back to your real question um, and and let people see that he wasn't afraid and that he could he could snap back. Um, you know, people want to see that, too. Yeah, I I, I have said throughout since the, the, the DNC, the most effective narrative I have seen that puts Biden at the center of it has been Biden, the bullied, finally takes on the bully idea. And, yeah. and I think that he didn't quite get there for me during this debate. And, and I, I probably am a little bit more critical about his energy and delivery than, than it sounds like you are. But also lost in the cacophony of what I thought was probably, I mean, was definitely, in my opinion, a far too aggressive Donald Trump, even on Trump standards. Uh, I don't know what really can can even emerge. Like I, I, I don't know. Everything was so scorched earth that uh, you know, it was it was just. Uh, Sensory overload. It was like like one of those uh, 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 atomic sour patch things. Uh, uh, oh man, I'm gonna <laughs> atomic warheads. Where you know you just like you you put it on your tongue and it just you know totally burns out your taste buds for the next 24 hours. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you're right that you know I don't blame Biden so much. There's some things that I would have loved. You know, I had snappy retorts where he didn't <laughs> in some places. But um, I think that he did a pretty solid job given the circumstances. And what I mean by that is that Trump's aggression, the way that he used language as a weapon, right? It's ad baculum, threats of force or intimidation. Um, like Trump didn't let Biden get in any you know, get in anything that he wanted to say. He yeah. just constantly interrupted him. And to to be able to have the presence of mind um, to say anything under those circumstances, you know, it's like being punched continuously. Um, and, and so, you know, I thought that he did a fine job, <laughs> you know, under that, like to be routinely that he, that punched he, that he survived. verbally. He survived. Mm -hmm. And, and, he survived. He yeah. survived. Um, you know, going into the debate, I was 
I was curious if Trump would get so, you know, mad and just walk off the stage. Um, you know, I thought that was a real possibility. Oh, really? Uh, I, yeah, I, yeah. No. I that man, that man's going to die with a microphone in his hand. There's no way he's <laughs> there's no Donald yeah. Trump never, ever, ever, ever will take a look at a camera that is broadcasting to all major networks <laughs> and all of the cable networks and say, nah, like that, that will never, never happen. Yeah. Well, that's a fair point, to be honest. But, you know, whenever he has his press conferences, if he gets pressed too hard by reporters, what does he do? He turns around, and he walks away. So, you know, I really thought he might get pressed too hard and he would turn around and walk away, um, which would be a certain kind of dramatic moment, you know, that Trump would love and, you know, everybody would be talking about the next day. Um, his fans would love it, that kind of thing. Uh, but he didn't do that. And instead, I think, you know, probably more to your point, right, he took advantage of the microphone and the camera and, and did, you know, an equally aggressive performance. Um, oh, but yeah. in front of the camera I, for, for, for Donald Trump and, and in rewatching back the 2016 debates, these are elongated cable news hits. These are just the yeah. mother of all cable news hit. He, he gets a microphone and a camera and he's got somebody telling him to stay on topic, but he doesn't have to because it's live television and he's got the mic and, and he's got the camera. So that's right. Like that. That's that's and what he was, that's what he, he was cares saying about. things that if he had tweeted, it would have got flagged as, you know, inappropriate or election tampering or whatever. Um, you know, and you don't get that on the live debate stage. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, this uh, certainly was something that we have uh, that that even for, I think, like veteran watchers of uh, uh, Donald Trump's speech and debates in general was intense. Uh, real quick look ahead. How different do you think the tenor of the Mike Pence, Kamala Harris debate is going to be? Mm, I think you're probably going to see Kamala Harris be more aggressive than Pence. Um, you know, I could be wrong there, but, uh, you know, she she has the history of being a prosecutor and uh, we've seen her be a tough interrogator of witnesses, you know, for congressional hearings, for Senate hearings. So, you know, it, it could be that, she, you know, I don't think she'll violate the norms of the debate. Right. But um, she definitely could be the one that's aggressive, you know, kind of like uh, what you said in 2012 with the vice presidential debate. I wonder if she'll pull something off her fastball after this, if 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 the if the play isn't going to be as aggressive as I think the initial thought would be because yeah. you want to kind of be the antidote to the loud. And, and if, if Kamala can have a quiet but stern conversation that that might be better than the full on prosecutorial do you or do you not, sir, kind of uh, <laughs> stuff that she's done in the past. Yeah, I think you're right. That might work, um, you know, better for most audiences. I, I certainly have seen, you know, since she became the nominee that she has been, you know, very smiley on camera and trying yeah. to be soft She's and, softened, and that yeah. kind of thing, um, which, frankly, I don't need her to do. I, I would much rather see her be a prosecutor. But, you know, I can understand why, you know, any female politician feels like they need to soften their image. Jennifer Murchia, of course, you are an associate professor at the Department of Communication at Texas A&M University, and you can check out her book, Demagogue for President, The Rhetorical Genius of Donald Trump. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. And that's going to wrap it up for us today. Couple things uh, to remind you of this Sunday. Raise the Dead is back. 1964, Johnson versus Goldwater. Our first episode drops this Sunday, October 4th. It's my October surprise. Uh, if you enjoyed the first season, then uh, you will love this. Uh, I'm very, very proud of it. It uh, has all your old favorites, all the uh, all, all the characters from the first season. Obviously, a true story. Uh, but if you did not listen to the first season, well, then you can go ahead and catch up now. Go ahead and catch up uh, for free on podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. Or go ahead and get the audiobook. The audiobook is available, and that has a bonus episode for you there. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm super thrilled with this, and, and I hope you guys like it. It's going to be three episodes plus a uh, mail-in episode. So uh, keep an eye out for that uh, this Sunday. Take Politics Seriously is where you support this show monetarily. In fact... It's where we find our Titanic $10 tier. Lord Generic Frenchman, Dr. G, Jacob Wilson, D-Laser, Dallas Danger Teller, your boy Craig, Zombie Doc, Gazer Beam, Utah Jimmy Montana, Captain Bunzo, Cujo Tally, Richard Memory Pie App, Crookie McCrookface, Justin Ryan, Egan, Rib Dibs, McGillicuddy, Vote Trump 2020, Martin, Government Unfiltered, Neil, Archie, Darren, Daily Tech News Show, Jay Milius, Olin and Angela, DL, Steven, Chad, Miranda, Jenny, Robert, the most non-conscientious, non-partisan listeners. Glenn Wolfrank, Chili Scoop, Dustin, Just Another Pilot, Mike, Scale, The Gen MacBook Pro, Leon, Frozen Summers, J-Pink, Andrew, and... Matthew, you want to join their ever-swelling ranks? You head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You want to email the show? Oh, that's easy. TheYoungAmerican at gmail.com is where you do that. You want to reach me on Twitter at Justin R. Young. You want to get my free political newsletter at FreePoliticalNewsletter.com? Well, it's right there in the website. Until Friday, for most of you, $3 Club gets an episode tomorrow. But until then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this, this is the only show that talks about still going in many ways it's gone better john f kennedy was about to do what he does best run for president and win a second term until an assassin's bullet killed the sitting president opening the biggest political power vacuum in modern history and everyone wants a piece of the action 
My name is Justin Robert Young, and in the new season of my political history podcast, Raise the Dead, we tell the epic tale of 1964. Race riots, vile television ads, a secret Senate sex den, and the most famous legislation to come out of Congress in a generation. Moments that have molded and shaped our modern political world. News dies and becomes history. But tonight, we raise the dead. Vicious, mean, uh, dirty, low-down stuff about uh, all this. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs)